Before we get to Tyler Wood of the CMT Association, I want to talk about Schaefer's Chart of the Week. It's an in-depth look at a stock, sector, index, indicator, you name it, that's captured the attention of our digital content team. For example, this past Sunday, we offered up a deep dive on three ETFs to watch amid the ongoing Russia and Ukraine geopolitical drama. Each Sunday, subscribers will get a deep dive into a compelling chart to explain why this is on our radar, what it means for traders, and how they can potentially profit from it. This exclusive report, available free to Schaefer's subscribers, is a can't-miss weekly dispatch heavily influenced by founder and CEO Bernie Schaefer, a widely respected technical analyst who's one of the pioneers in the options industry. Hit the link in this episode's bio, enter your email address, and you'll have a notification of when Chart of the Week is active on SchaeferSresearch.com. Now, let's get to Tyler Wood. Welcome back to Schaefer Market Mashup, presented as always by Schaefer's Investment Research. Patrick Martin here on 2-23-22. A very fun episode planned for you. Uh, The second I heard this guy's podcast, I knew he'd be a great guest here. Please welcome Tyler Wood, the Managing Director of Global Business Development at CMT Association. Um, Tyler, it's great to finally meet you and your illustrious beard. <laughs> Thank you, Patrick. You got a good one growing yourself, my friend. I'm working on it, yeah, and a little gray here too, actually. Which uh oh, uh, markets have been tough, man. Gray hair is sprouting out everywhere. I was on the golf course yes uh, Monday for President's Day. I sent a picture to my parents of like because they're in Connecticut, snowy Connecticut, yeah. and I'm you know, playing in Cincinnati. Uh-huh. And my mom goes, is that a little snow I see on your beard? And she threw <laughs> off my entire day. <laughs> As only moms can do for us, right? right. We, we value their opinion higher than anybody else's. They, they really know how to cut to your core. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So Tyler and CMT, I mean, you guys are a treasure trove of stock market information, technical analysis. I mean, it's you, you guys are the bread and butter of the industry. To be expected from anyone that gets their MBA at IU, I saw. Yeah. Yes, um, Indiana University. I, I, I happen to be a Hoosier. Yeah, well, you happen to be on the bubble, too, apparently. <laughs> That's right. So um, maybe I'll get a prediction from you later. But let's start from the beginning. Um, walk me through CMT's role in the financial ecosystem and you know what makes your services unique to uh, a retail trader. Absolutely. No, thanks for having me on. And uh, I have to start by saying that the CMT Association is, uh, it's been the greatest opportunity of my life. Uh, I did get an MBA from the, the Kelly School of Business at Indiana University, and they gave me a very firm understanding of the accounting and corporate finance side, uh, really driven by fundamentals. And that's an important part of the financial services industry. However, uh, you know, fi- finance is not driven just by computers. It's driven by humans who have the tendency to be irrationally driven by their own fear and greed. Uh, that has been consistent for centuries, which makes the discipline of technical analysis an incredibly valuable tool. Uh, so after, uh, after we left Indiana, got to New York City, I was looking at jobs in consumer packaged goods firms. And I, I thought for sure I'd be a brand manager for Procter and Gamble or something like that as, as most Kelly grads end up. 
But uh, instead, I found what was called the Market Technicians Association. We changed our name just a few years ago. But uh, this is an association. It's a nonprofit credentialing body that's been a big part of Wall Street for about 50 years. And the reason it was started in the late 1960s is that Wall Street analysts uh, would meet at the New York Society of Securities Analysts, and they'd break out after the luncheon you know, presentation into small groups. All the sector analysts from the automotive industry or uh, healthcare or you name it would, would break off and have their own private meetings. And there were a couple of youngsters uh, in their 20s that said, hey, where's, the, where's the room for the technical analysts? And <laughs> New York Society members said, oh, you guys, yeah, we don't have a room for you. Uh, we don't even understand what you do. <laughs> and frankly, you probably shouldn't even be here. Wow. And I think financial news media has done a real disservice to, to all investors, whether you're institutional professional or you're a self-directed investor, uh, to pit fundamentals against technicals, when in fact, they're two sides of the same coin. Uh, I mean, I want to understand the, uh, the basics of the company that you're you're investing in the new products that are coming out that are going to generate uh, free cash flows that are going to change uh, their balance sheet going forward. But when it comes time to make a buy or sell decision in your portfolio, you need to understand what the mood of the market is, what the sentiment uh, readings are, and frankly, whether or not that price is trending in an up or downward direction. And that's what technical analysis tells you. It tells you what investors are interested in uh, long before the fundamentals change. And so the CMT Association got started uh, with those youngsters because they needed a place to to showcase the professionalism of technicians mm -hmm. and make sure there was a collegial group of people who would share ideas about what was working and what wasn't working. And I know it's it's hard for uh, for all of us uh, in this generation to think about what life might have been like in a big firm like Merrill Lynch uh, back in the 60s. But um, technical analysis was all done by hand. They had what they called war rooms, you know, their chart rooms in all these major warehouse firms had, you know, 10, 15, 25 people uh, charting by hand every every daily close of the market, calculating all of the indicators. So the heavy computation behind things as simple as like an RSI or a little oscillator, if they wanted to understand what was going on on their chart, they had to compute it by hand, plot it by hand. Um, but it gave them a real sense of what was happening day to day in the marketplace. And obviously, the, the CMT Association has stood for really two things. We, we help advance the discipline of technical analysis, which means all of the folks out there who are creating new tools, who are understanding new uh, ways to implement them in portfolio management, are part of the organization and help and drive that, that research and the development of the tools. But also, we're a, we're a member services organization. So we want to help people improve their investment decision making and also improve their career prospects. And those are the two main drivers of, of our mission and what we do on behalf of members and charter holders all over the world. Yeah, I, I see so much connective tissue between what you guys do and Schaefer's expectational analysis, where you mm -hmm. are combining you know, the technical side with the sentiment side. And like, like you said, you know, those two should be married. Those two should be working in conjunction with each other. Uh, mm -hmm. So to see that thesis um, so obvious for you guys is, is very refreshing because like you said, they're at war a lot. And mm -hmm. I know at Schaefer's, I, sp I just spoke with Katie before, we have mm -hmm. um, three uh, tr mm -hmm. of our traders that are CMTs. We have Bernie Schaefer himself. Yep. Who I, I know Katie had said had recently won some best of the best Award, yes. I think before you guys had done uh, the name change. So having worked with these people, it's 
I, I, I see their work. I see what you guys do on a day-to-day basis. So I guess to jump right in there, what are some analyses you think a retail trader should keep coming back to? You know, what should be their wheelhouse, their their go-to um, you know, their their go-to process, or is it more mm-hmm. tools that they use? Really well phrased, Patrick. Uh, and I think you can separate them into two camps: tools versus process. Uh, so let's take them one at a time. If if we were to pull up a chart of a stock and try to decide you and me together whether we should buy it or if it's already in our portfolio, we should sell it. Uh, we'd, we'd really want to know at least four things to get a comprehensive technical perspective on that trade. The first and foremost is the trend. Is it up or down? And uh, you, can, you can do that just visually looking at a chart. Is it going from the bottom left to the top right or the top left to the bottom right? Uh, that's uh, one of the, the beauties of human brain and our shortcuts is that uh, we are visual thinkers by nature. Uh, you know, you can go back 10,000 years and uh, the human brain evolved to be able to distinguish between uh, the spots and stripes that are on predatory animals or if that's, uh, you know, prey, right? Um, same, same thing exists for us at 10,000 years later as investors, we can, we can grasp a lot of information very quickly from visual tools. So trend, um, if you wanted to quantify something, instead of just looking at, you know, whether the line squiggles up into the right or down to the right, um, you could use something like Don Chin channels. You could use moving averages. There are a lot of tools, but I would, I would strongly encourage everyone to start with the trend. Uh, 130 years ago, that was what Charles H. Dow uh, started with, was, was that market's trend. They trend over multiple time periods. He defined three major uh, time periods for the trend. Uh, but really, what, what we're trying to understand is how we can trade alongside the prevailing direction of the market. Now, I'm not here to uh, uh, dictate to any of the listeners how they ought to trade, what their strategy should be. That's really a personal decision based on their risk tolerance, uh, the the mechanics of, of what they're doing and what assets they trade. But you could be looking at intraday five-minute charts, or you could be looking at weekly charts if you're you know, a big mutual fund manager or you're a self-directed investor that just doesn't have the time to sit in front of the screen all day. Mm-hmm. You've got to understand the trend first. The second thing that you want to understand if, you, if you've identified an uptrend, you're going to look for confirmation or divergence from something called momentum. And the way Ralph Akampora explained this to me, he's one of the co-founders of our association, he said, picture, picture a baseball in your hand. You throw that ball up in the air. The minute it leaves your hand, it's moving as fast as it will ever move. That's, that's really fast momentum. And as it reaches the apex, you know, the ball is going to head up into the sky and then it's going to come back down into your baseball glove. It's going to decelerate. It's still moving higher, but it's moving higher slower as it reaches that top. And then it's going to come back down. Gravity will pull it back into your glove. So momentum. And there are a million different uh, tools that, that people can use right on their charting platform. Um, let's just talk about RSI for a second, relative strength index. If you were looking for something like RSI in a lower panel underneath your price chart, you want to see momentum confirming an uptrend. So if you and I are trying to decide whether to buy this stock, we want to see that the trend is up and that momentum is positive, right? Uh, it was it was my first understanding that, oh, if it hits overbought, then uh, then we're headed back down. And that's not the case either, right? A lot of these tools, a lot of the, the pitfalls for new users of the technical toolkit is that they don't quite understand what the indicator means. When it reaches overbought extremes, uh, you, you know that there is very enthusiastic buying of this uptrend. 
you also know that it won't persist forever. So when that momentum dies off, that's the baseball hitting its apex and it's going to come back down to your glove. That doesn't mean the trend is over, but it might consolidate, might uh, you know digest some of those gains. You don't want to be buying as momentum is decelerating. Uh, conversely, you could see divergences on the chart. So maybe price is making new highs, but momentum is not confirming with new highs. Maybe it's even gone into oversold territory, telling you that potentially the strength of that trend has really weakened, and we might even be looking for an, an area of reversal. The third thing that I would say for all investors is to understand volume, and it's another confirmatory indicator, right? We want to know if there is heavy volume confirming a trend, either in the upward or downward direction, right? Uh, if you look at you know, the end of bear markets, that capitulation, that final washout, mm -hmm. it happens on very heavy volume. Everybody has taken so much pain as it's, you know, traded down. The losses are accumulating in their account. Their, their P&L is destroyed for the year. It's a mass uh, exodus. Finally, yeah. yeah, mass exodus. And when they finally want to get out and you have that big washout, that's, that's really where bottoming can, can start. Uh, same thing if you're, if you're looking at topping patterns, you know, that same trend with that heavy momentum and, and really heavy volume confirming. When it gets to the end of its run, you're going to see that volume dry up. You're going to see that momentum start to to wane and fade. Um, and so those three are really critically important. If you've got the time and the interest, uh, the fourth one, the last one that I would add in is that you want to understand volatility as well. Um, so things like Donchin, or excuse me, Bollinger Bands or Keltner Bands uh, have been really, really helpful to a lot of investors over the years because as you understand contraction in volatility, you can start to... Uh, add probabilities to your side. So a, a volatility contraction, right, where there's this tug of war between buyers and sellers, where it's not really decided which direction the trend is going to go. These tend to happen at periods of, of reversal or continuation. But you want to trade in the direction of that breakout. When we, when we break a period of very low volatility, uh, typically low periods of low volatility will be followed by periods of high volatility in either direction. Um, so those are the four, trend, momentum, volume, and volatility. The other side of the coin, right, uh, that's, that's how to do your analysis. The other side of the coin is how to be a consistent trader or investor. And that's, that's the process. And we spend a ton of time throughout the CMT curriculum, in the CMT program, at all of our educational events and conferences talking about process. And what we're, what we're really trying to dig at there are things like, the expectancy formula, right? You can have a big loss, a small loss, a small win, or a really big win, right? When you put a trade on, those are the only four outcomes. And the expectancy formula tells us that you do not have to be right all the time, but your winners have to outsize the losses of those those small positions. You take take the loss quickly and early. I know it's much, uh, much easier to say than it is to do. And we could talk all day long about the human behaviors and the cognitive biases that keep us from, from being really disciplined investors. But if you have your checklist in your analysis, you use that toolkit, you understand that the trend's in your favor, the probabilities are all on your side. Technical analysis also tells you very quickly when you're wrong and you can close out of those small positions, uh, take the small loss. And for trend following, right, which is where technical analysis is 
added tremendous value for inst institutions and individuals. For trend followers, they want to really lean into those bets that are working. The, the trade that is working in your favor, you want to stick with it. You want to be patient and hold on to that. And as uh, has Danny Kahneman or Amos Tversky and behavioral psychologists have taught us, we we tend to want to lock in the, the win quickly, right? We, oh, it went up 10%. I'm, you know, I'm selling, I'm capturing those profits. Uh, well, that first 10% may have may have uh, led to another, you know, 100% move, and you don't want to miss out on that. So using a disciplined process, something that's repeatable, that uses those toolkits and those rules uh, to make the same decision every time is going to allow you to, uh, to have a good expectancy formula so that your winners are outsizing your losers. And you, you might find that 40% of the time you're wrong or 50% of the time you're wrong maybe even more. There are some really great hedge funds out there that that pick winning uh, trades maybe 30% of the time, but they still make money over the long run because they have a very disciplined approach to how they manage risk. Wow. Um, <laughs> I know. It's like talking yeah. to a fire hydrant. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, no, I love it. Um, well, what I loved about what you said about the tools is the similarities of just from our strictly digital content. That's how we will break down a stock when we're writing it on, mm -hmm. on our website, uh, all four of those tools. But what I found interesting is when is that when you got to the process, that's the options trading niche mm -hmm. of controlling when you can leave and exit, uh, the added time value, and you can introduce the Greeks and everything like that. In, in it draws me back to an example of one of our recent big trades that I wrote a post mortem on was you know a Facebook put with a mm -hmm. 391% return, mm -hmm. and that helped overshadow or you know accommodate for other losses. And I think that's so important for a retail trader to remember is you're not going to walk in here and just start firing off wins left and right. You know, it's 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 more like baseball where you have to look at a batting average and say, you know, you're, if you're batting, you know, three hundred, you're doing great, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, because you know one of those hits accommodates for the rest. So I I I love the way you broke that down, you know, versus tool versus tools versus process. Take that and apply it to, and I'll let you pick whatever, but apply that to like a current event situation. I mean, you know, Russia, inflation, you, you can use whatever as to mm -hmm. how an investor would dissect a development. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, those are two great examples. Um, so something like, a, you know, geopolitical conflict. Um, I would think about first looking at market history. And uh, there's a great CMT charter holder who uh, was at Schaefer's for many years named Ryan Dietrich. Um, he had a post uh, just, just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I think it was that Friday afternoon when conflict seemed imminent. Uh, market sold off heavily on a late session on a Friday afternoon. Um, I actually, I saw it on the chart before I saw the New York Times, you know, dinging alerts on my phone uh, that, that markets react even faster than news agencies. Now, if you look at uh, geopolitical conflict or, or any headline news story and you look at market history, how, how has the market digested uh, big headline news, you, you find that 10, you know, we tend to overreact to the headline 
and the market digests quickly what's uh, what's really going to play out. The the Russian Ukrainian conflict I think is um, maybe more interesting from a you know from the energy trade perspective, uh, what that's done to supply issues around oil uh, globally or the potential threat to supply issues. I know there's new sanctions and cutting off some that gas pipelines. Those those kind of events uh, when you when you get below the broad index of, uh, of equity markets and you start looking at where that actually plays out in um, in more specific commodities driven trades there's there's a lot more to learn from that but what I would say is that you know having some perspective on what regime we are in you know what the what the weight of the evidence tells us about about the markets is much more important than any given headline uh, headline news story. And I think we saw over and over and over again, uh, at least Americans did, um, through our last presidential cycle, where the headlines about trade wars with China and uh, we don't have to re- <laughs> relive history, but it, there were there were constant streaming narratives of why the market should just be uh, losing its shirt, right? And it didn't. And the S&P 500 just climbed as steadily as you could possibly imagine. Um, and that's because, you know, the, the uh, access to, to credit, uh, low inflationary environment, uh, full employment. I mean, there, there are a lot of macroeconomic factors that play a much heavier hand in driving overall market trend than any headline news story. Um, so I would encourage all of the listeners, everybody who's reading Schaefer's research, um, to you know be aware of what's going on in the world around them, uh, particularly if you've got concentrated bets in things like oil. But I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't trade my account based on news flow. Right. The, the news anchors are in the business of selling more views and clicks on, on their news stories. They're not there to help you run your portfolio. Um, so there, there's that on the Russia side. On the inflation side, um, you, you talked about, you know, thinking about your batting average. And I know for a lot of folks who got involved in the markets based on uh, early trading successes in 2020, um, 2021 became a really difficult year. And the second year of a bull market tends to be uh, really challenging. And maybe in 2020, anything you bought went straight up. Oh, yeah. It's, because not, just, we, it's not just point and click anymore. I mean, you know. Right. You can't have and, sports website people I, who shall remain nameless, you know, yeah. running live streams of, oh, I think I'm going to buy this airline. Click. And I, I, I yeah. like this. And click. It was, yeah. it was bizarre. Throwing uh, darts. Uh, we've, we've all seen the, you know. TikTok traders in you know some far you know uh, sandy beach somewhere retiring the, living the life driving their new orange Lambo um, that's not a repeatable defined process that's um, that's getting lucky and we're not gamblers we're investors right so with something like uh, inflation again the the narrative you know the talk on uh, on financial news networks is not uh, going to help you make sound decisions. But understanding regime change is really important. Right now, Fed funds rate, uh, you know, on a 10-year T-bill, you know, it spiked up above 2% last week, but then settled down around 1.95. In December, that was as low as 1.4%. So we have stepped up quickly, you know, significantly from where we were at, but quickly. But if, again, looking at the technical toolkit, if you look at a quarterly chart, of interest rates going back to the 80s. I mean, we're still in that downtrend. 
right? Lower rates is the pre prevailing trend. And I think until we're above two and a half percent, we really haven't seen a, a bottom put in uh, for meaningfully higher rates. Uh, I also think, you know, <laughs> when I first bought a house in grad school, my grandma got on the phone with me and God bless her. Uh, she, <laughs> she said, Tyler, as soon as possible, you need to pay off your mortgage. I want, I just want you to know that it's really important that you try to get out from under that debt as fast as possible. This is 2005. I said, well, grandma, I, I have a interest free five year adjustable rate mortgage. I mean, I was a grad student. We didn't have any cash. Yeah. The bank said, yeah, go ahead and buy a house. And, uh, you know, you just, you just pay the interest. And, uh, after five years, we, we might, uh, reconfigure your mortgage. My point being, it wasn't an 18% interest rate on my mortgage. And so the regime that we are in, understanding where, you know, what, what that 30 year downtrend in the bond market has been, right? Bond prices move uh, conversely to rates. So the bond prices have gone down as rates, uh, excuse me, bond prices have gone up as rates have gone lower. Uh, I don't think we're seeing uh, the full effect of a big change there. I think there is inflation and I think that uh, that could play out in some, uh, you know, more hawkish uh, behavior by our Fed, uh, Fed governors. But again, we're not that's not changing our day to day trading strategy. These are long term secular movements. And so I think the technical toolkit, if you're looking at market history and you understand some of those intermarket relationships between the credit markets and the equity markets, uh, you're going to you're going to end up uh being much, much better risk manager and being able to capture those opportunities when they're there. Mm -hmm. I remember I started here at Shavers in 2017. I was not in finance. And I remember reading, writing and processing these headlines all about the trade wars and leaving the Paris Climate Accords and all this. And I'd text my parents and be like, brace yourself. Yeah. This is, you know, you know, it's all coming. It's all going to shit here in a second. Mm -hmm. The next day, it's like, oh, up, you know, three, yeah. you know, point three percent. You know, that was a real time lesson for me in saying that, like, you know, the news headlines should be an arrow in your quiver, but mm -hmm. not your entire thesis. And so, you know, as pertaining to Russia, we just recently, or I recently wrote, uh, you know, a chart of the week on RSX and mm -hmm. UNG, especially if mm -hmm. um, you know Nord Stream, you know. But, the, you know, I, I ended it with the caveat of this isn't to say go buy them. This is just something to watch. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so important. And, you know, today's investors, I think, are so easy for like a quick soundbite and a quick little word that says, hey, go get this. Yes. Or go do this. Yes. That they, you, need, you need to go through a process. And it's so refreshing to see you guys do the due diligence and, and yeah. put, put in the actual work. Well, and one, one other point to that uh, is – the concept of relative strength. So uh, anybody listening to this, pull up your charting platform and just take one symbol divided by the other. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, you want to look at the XLK, the technology sector ETF uh, versus the S&P, right? For all of 2020, that was that was the trade, right? Off those uh, COVID crash lows, uh, the stay at home trade narrative, uh, but but technology and in particular, mega cap names in the you know growth equity space carried the market higher tesla facebook amazon netflix google you name it um those were the stocks that drove the s&p 500 higher and because it's a market cap weighted index uh, they make up a huge portion of the benchmark now 
you you get into 2021 and you saw rotation rotation being spurred on by moves higher in in interest rates um, and you started to see cyclical sectors outperform growth equities right the value versus growth uh, this is not investment advice and I'm not saying that you know the next 10 years it's going to be a value story and growth is over but you can look at your charts and see in real time and react to changes in real time. And what, what we mean by relative strength is um, it's as simple as just trying to fish where the fish are, right? Growth, growth equities, outperformed value. Uh, we saw the tech sector leading the market higher. That's, that's where you were going to find good opportunities for long. And quick point of clarification, right? RSI, uh, the relative strength index. And I know technicians have not done a great job with our jargon or our nomenclature, but uh, RSI being the momentum oscillator that you'd see on your chart, relative strength being uh, the division of, of one security by another. So comparing, uh, you know, what is what is outperforming. Okay. And here in 2022, right, <laughs> from January 1st, it's been energy. Uh, financials have worked on and off uh, some cyclical sectors. We've even seen like staples and defensive names outperforming the index. That's where relative strength has rotated to this year. And rotation, you know, as a concept, you'll, you'll, if you talk to your financial advisor, uh, they'll, they'll talk to you about, you know, uh, rotation strategies, tactical asset allocation models. There's a lot of names, smart beta, uh, and some great fund managers out there who've, uh, who really help people take an active approach to rotating their funds to what is, what is leading relative strength. The work of uh, Dorsey Wright, uh, Tom Dorsey is a good friend and a, and a mentor. Uh, they've done a ton of work on relative strength. And so, when you when you think about something like the inflation narrative, you want to turn to your t- technical toolkit and just see, you know, has has inflation impacted the markets in a meaningful way that makes new leadership, different sectors, different names uh, start to trend both on an absolute basis, right? Their chart is going up and to the right, and on a relative basis, they are performing better than the index. Interesting. And in in a really dark, you know, bear market. Uh, most institutional money managers and traders are going to look at their relative performance. So if the index is down 30% and you've only lost 10% for your clients, you're a hero, mm-hmm. right? You, you avoided the massive drawdown by buying things that were going down less. That doesn't mean that you could find, uh, you know, the, the perfect silver bullet, but you want to avoid the things that are, that are dragging the market down fastest. Yeah. Wow. You took me to school there. Thank you. Um, no, no, you really did help me articulate that. Uh, because I, I think I was poking around, but not really grasping it, and, and, and now I do. Yeah. Um, so to pivot a little bit, I uh, actually on the way into work listened to your uh, Meb Faber episode. Excellent. I, I mean, that was that was fascinating. <laughs> uh, so I want to give the floor to you there and expand upon you know your own mentors and early influences. Uh, I know whenever I'm listening to a podcast and I'm looking to learn. I'm sitting there with a notebook. Whenever I hear people say, you know, names, I'm jotting them down. I'm jotting down a book. Uh, so yeah. I'm sure I have listeners here who would love to see who has influenced your line of thinking. Absolutely. Uh, it, there, there are so many incredible people uh, who are part of the CMT Association. And like I said at the very start of this, uh, this has been the greatest opportunity of my life. Uh, you know, you get a job on the trading desk. And you can call up all the portfolio managers, the big uh, mutual fund companies or hedge funds, and they don't want to talk to you. They get a thousand calls a day because somebody's always trying to sell them something. 
And what I found within the CMT association is that if I picked up the phone and I called even the biggest money managers, uh, they were happy to take my call, happy to talk about what was going on in the association. How could they, you know, share back the industry uh, that had helped them so much through their career? So uh, when I first, uh, you know, got my feet wet in technical analysis uh, over a decade ago, it was Ralph Acampora and Phil Roth, uh, who were in the MTA office down on Wall, Wall and Broad, uh, were right across from the stock exchange. And they would come in and do tutorials. And we still had some of the hand-drawn charts from Ralph's uh, prudential room in the in the MTA office. Uh, but also people like Gail Dudak, who's a great macroeconomist, uh, Louise Yamada, uh, who worked with the, uh, the illustrious Alan Shaw. These, these women uh, have been really instrumental in helping me understand how fundamentals and technicals can be combined. Um, and then I got to thank people like John Bollinger, uh, who is who is also a guest on Fill the Gap. Uh, make sure to check out that interview. I mean, yeah. he's such a, he's got creative genius. And that's a, that's a word get, that gets thrown around way too much. Uh, but real intellectual curiosity, really wanting to know how, how does it work and get under the hood of, of each indicator, understand how it's calculated. He obviously the, the father of Bollinger Bands, the in, inventor of uh, those volatility signals. Um, but then, you know, through my work with the board of directors, uh, people like Bill Kelleher, uh, David Keller, who was the managing director at uh, Fidelity for many years and now the chief market strategist at StockCharts.com. Um, these are people who really helped me understand how the industry works and uh, and and how buy side and sell side relationships uh, expand or contract. And uh, uh, Craig Johnson, Dave Lundgren, Larry Berman. I mean, there are a lot of uh, mentors through the board of directors that have really helped kind of steer me in the right direction. And then I guess the other thing that I'd point out is uh, the association is just, it, it's a great place to make friends. Uh, so people like JC Peretz and Robert Dombrower and Paul Siena and Katie Stockton and Alex Cole, uh, they've been great just friends to study with, to learn with, uh, to hang out with. And uh, so I'm, I'm forever grateful to the CMT Association for that. Yeah, if, if anyone's listening, I would rewind that and listen at 0.5 speed because you really need to take those names down, give them a follow on Twitter, plug them into Google and, and, and learn what they have. Uh, mm. I, I've been in this industry for five years and every day I'm learning something new. And yeah. it's it's so much fun just to open up Twitter. And if you're following the right people like you, know, like, like yeah. you and everybody you mentioned – you learn so much just by you know scrolling through and just seeing everybody put their 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 talent out there and their ideas. Yeah. It's it, it's a great way to disseminate information. Yeah, um, yeah. Twitter didn't exist in the 1960s, but you know that the CMT members would have been sharing a lot of charts. Right. Well, um, I mean, their their version of you know sitting in their own little designated corner. That's yeah. Twitter now. So that's Twitter now. Yeah. Um. Want to look to the future here? I know you had mentioned in our exchange of emails, data visualization. Uh, yes. You said it's you know the technical analysis is evolving, and there's a lot of exciting developments on the horizon. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you the floor again and just say, what do you guys got going on? What do yeah. you see as the future? Uh, especially, you know, we, we we touched around it with the internet, and you know, you start from computing the math on pen and paper yeah. to now. Yeah. What what's next? So uh, I read a book long ago uh, called My Life as a Quant by Emmanuel Dermon. He's a professor at Columbia University and uh, options pricing theory uh, genius. Mm -hmm. uh, but what he said is that when you do physics, you're playing against God and you're playing against God's creatures 
when you're trading markets. And that that line, uh, you know, in finance, you're playing against God's creatures, to me is just the you know, Star Trekian, you know, the, <laughs> the, the horizon is always further out in the sense that uh, human beings and our human nature are always going to drive markets to irrational extremes. They're going to create opportunities for arbitrage and, and new discovery. And uh, John Bollinger talks about first principles of the market and that if there is something that is pervasive, that is uh, resilient through lots of market cycles, it tends to come down to some observable trait about the markets and really about human behavior. So technical analysis, uh, <laughs> not to go back to uh, TA 101, but this started hundreds and hundreds of years ago, uh, mid 18th century in the rice pits of Osaka, Japan. There's a guy named Monohisa Homa who understood that, you know, when it was festival season and the springtime weather was out and the cherry blossoms, traders would come into the rice pits exuberant and they would over trade and that drove prices higher and if they were you know particularly despondent depressed uh, maybe it was you know seasonal effects or uh, something else happening in in the community uh, they would trade less prices would come down and what he discovered was that he could track prices and then trade in in the highest probability direction of what he was seeing from the behavior of other traders that is candlestick charting so everybody who's ever pulled up a chart probably looks at candlesticks. And we have our, our old pal, Monahisa Homa, to thank for that. That and is unreal. All, right? It's unreal. The <laughs> technical analysis is the oldest game in town, and it goes back to the mid-18th century. Now, what I, the point I want to make is that by capturing price data and then putting it in a visual tool, you can see on a candle what the behavior of the traders in those <laughs> rice pits back in the day or any market now what the behavior is uh, that's driving price action. That's data visualization. That's taking a whole bunch of numbers, which, you know, for the human brain, right, infinite decimals, uh, you know, it's all nonsense, but a picture makes sense. And so uh, there's a there's another great quant uh, named Carson Dahlberg, also a CMT charter holder. And uh, he, you know, he does a lot of coding in Python, uh, works, works uh, with a ton of systematic uh, strategy development. But what Carson really loves about technicals is that he could throw some code together in Python, uh, but pop out a chart and instantly know whether it's given him the results that he wanted or not, right? From the picture, it, he can fail fast, to use the uh, the development term for software engineers, uh, by just looking at the picture because it's not the expected outcome. So there's a problem with the code. You can you know go back to the drawing board. Technical analysis and the new data streams that we've got coming at us, like just think about the cryptocurrency space. You've got immediate visibility. It's anonymous, but you can immediately see exactly where every transaction is at. That's that's an incredible uh, fertile garden for technicians to think about pulling those data sets into new visual tools. And then on the visual side, right, things like um, you know, three-dimensional, you know, if you're looking at volatility curves or if you wanted to start thinking about your charts, bringing in other information, maybe it's a fundamental factor. Get that on your chart. Uh, you, you, you can get a lot of information much faster from a visual tool than you can from reading spreadsheet after spreadsheet. And throughout my MBA, uh, and <laughs> I, I feel very fortunate to have gone to a good school and had great professors. 
But man, pouring over 10Ks and 10Qs to understand uh, and and then estimate, right? There's tons of variables that you're just guessing at. Uh, you, you put that in your model and you guess at what fair value of a company is. That often has to be restated. It is just an estimate. It doesn't really help you trade. It helps you understand whether there's quality there of the company. And it's it's those underlying fundamentals that'll drive trends. But man, a visual tool, uh, you can move a lot faster through a lot more securities and have a real comprehensive picture of, of you know, what's going to work for you and your portfolio by using technical analysis. Yeah, I was I was wondering if you were going to mention 3D and, and you know, because just having looked at it myself, wondered, you know, I think that's a way to invite a lot of people who might be a little spooked by a chart, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. but might have see it from a different perspective that way. So I, I was, yeah, that, that I mean, it's incredible what you know the next five to ten years could hold. I guess I would I would say too that um, no time <laughs> like the present right. has there been such interest in technical analysis and charting. Uh, everybody with a brokerage account has access to really powerful tools now. Tools that were all done by hand when Ralph and Phil were, you know, kids at Merrill Lynch and Smith Barney. And, uh, it was, it was very labor intensive. And now we can carry around 5,000 charts in our pocket, flip through them with our thumb on our phone. The challenge there is that most new investors don't take the time to read a book or listen to a lecture or, you know, tune into a podcast to understand uh, what those tools are telling them. Mm-hmm. Yep. All those squiggly lines on your chart, not helping you unless you know what they're telling you. And I guess if there's any piece of advice I could give to any newbie in uh, technical analysis, it's, you know, we all made, we all made the journey to try to find the silver bullet and we've tested every possible indicator. The truth of the matter is keep it simple. Find it, find a couple things that work for you. Trend, momentum, volume, and volatility. That's all you need on your chart. And you've got to keep it simple. Otherwise, all those squiggly lines are just going to create analysis paralysis. And you'll be able to convince yourself to hold on to a losing trade because there's enough squiggly line on your chart to tell you it's going to come back. Uh, But I think if you can simplify it and then make it repeatable, you have a much better chance of making money over the long run. Yeah, very well said. And the best way to get you, you know, that's the best way to avoid getting your wires crossed. Uh, totally. you know, is keeping it simple. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm ready to wrap here. I mean, this has just been, you know, information overload. I, I, I love <laughs> it. Uh, so, so much actionable advice here. I can't wait to get this episode out. So Tyler Wood, the managing director of global business development, uh, of CMT association. You can check him out here. Let me, let me plug. Let's see. CMTassociation.org. Is where you can find the website. And then, of course, uh, check out on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Fill the Gap, the official podcast of the CMT Association. Uh, anything else you'd like to, to plug? Yeah, if, if anybody has questions, I'm, I'm an open book. Uh, hit me up at uh, T-Bone Pickens, underscore T-Bone, underscore Pickens on, uh, on Twitter. Happy to, uh, happy to make some new friends from the Schaefer's community. Yeah, I love that. Uh, I, I look forward to having you on again. One last question. I see the drum set in the background. Who are some of your favorite drummers? 
uh, I've been drumming since I was a very little kid. My dad was a drummer. And so we had a, a kit in the house, even as a toddler. Uh, I've, I've loved Carter Beauford. I've loved all of the great uh, jazz drummers uh, through, you know, throughout history. Uh, but I got to say, uh, it's only since we moved up here that I've been able to play again. You live in a, a little studio apartment in Manhattan. Neighbors do not want you pounding on the drums, you know, especially New Yorkers. Especially they, New Yorkers. They really um, take offense to that. <laughs> highlight of my life was going to see Roy Haynes at the Blue Note uh, when, we, uh, when we used to live down in the village. And uh, That's the give and take of like, you know, you can't play, but then you get to see all this amazing talent in the city. Uh, amazing It's it, a give and take there. Yeah, um, absolutely. Absolutely. So, again, yeah. Tyler, Tyler Wood, thanks for coming on. Hopefully this is the first of many episodes. Absolutely. Uh, and this was incredibly illuminating. So, Oh, cheers. thank you, Patrick. So much fun. I'll see you again real soon. Say hi to Katie for me. Will do. Will do. Cheers. 